And after surgery, I said to the surgeon, so when can I play rugby again? You know, I was excited, like, you know, it's almost like, yes, here's my chance. And he looked me dead in the eye, smirked and said, lad, you're not even going to stack shelves in the supermarket in your lifetime. It was that serious. I was like, no way. I'm just showing my 21st birthday. I've got, I've watched my mates go out doing what lads do between 18 and, and 21. And I haven't been able to be part of any of that. And now you're telling me that the one thing I've dreamt of, you're going to take away as well. So I was like, no way. This becomes relevant because I like to share this because I like to be able to say like, you can do anything you want, but the mind takes over. After rugby, I got into powerlifting when I was 32. I just wanted to do something for myself. I deadlifted 300 kilos at a competition, squatting 270. It's not the numbers, it's the fact that you go through what someone tells you 12 years before, that you're not even going to stack shelves in Tesco's, and then you go on to accomplish all these things. Welcome to the Mentality Podcast. We're recording at the incredible Wheatwood Hall Hotel Podcast Studio. This is a podcast that goes way beyond stigma. We talk about men's mental health and mindset. We encourage the type of conversation that will open you up to another way to live life, another way to see yourself and the world around you. If you are ready for that, you're in the right place. I'm Stevie Ward and I'm an ex professional rugby league player and captain and now I guess I'm a bit of a podcaster, speaker, actor, writer, entrepreneur. I'm still working all that out but at Mentality we help men take control of their mindset by teaching them to find purpose, resilience and what I believe is the new success, inner peace. That sounds good. If you are that guy who is waking up to the fact that they need to do something different in life and the same old habits aren't working for you, it might be time to step up. If you want to start your journey with us, you can go to mentality.co.uk forward slash coaching to join the best team you have ever seen. We have got a podcast, we've got a live podcast Q&A tonight, um, just been talking a little bit before recording, but we've got Rick Cooper on, who has left a lasting impact on me after meeting him at uh, the Men Without Masks retreat in December time, I think it was mid-December time. Um, Rick, it is amazing to have you on, pal, I'm, I'm buzzing for this, um, as I say, you've, you've had an effect on me, mate, and I think you're inspirational guy um, and you know it's, it's, it's sort of we're going to look at how much we can speak about over this this next hour or so but mate um, amazing to have you on how are you Paul? Pleasure mate thank you so much it's a pleasure mate absolute pleasure when you asked me I was made up yes so, uh, yeah likewise mate when we was in that retreat we just sort of hit up an instant instant kind of bond so uh, <laughs> when you asked me to come on I was over the moon yeah class mate and, and um, I just just, just so people have a bit of a background context to it, it's, it's one of Craig White's retreats, five days, men without masks, and it's something that you rock up to and you have no idea really what's going to happen, what's going to go on, who you're going to meet. Um, and uh, yeah, me and Rick ended up sitting next to each other and I think we have similar sort of backgrounds in in terms of masculinity and dreams as a young youngsters and um, the world that we've lived in. Uh, and, you know, we had sort of similar shares, but I think Rick's got an even more compelling background and, and story to me. So 
um, in some of the stuff that he's managed to to learn, but also unlearn um, in his time uh, over the last few years is quite outstanding. And um, I want, I really wanted to get Rick on just to to have a bit um, to to the guys and evolve and and and, and hopefully further fielding mentality. So, Rick, could you tell us a little bit, mate, about yourself, about what you do now? Yeah, of course I will. First, you might don't dim yourself down. <laughs> and, uh, oh man, I'm just thinking down you all. No, so but well, what I do now, um, I call myself like a I hate labels, but you, you kind of go give yourself one. People say, "What do you do?" So I, I call myself a leadership and high performance coach. Um, basically, help people live life on their terms, find their true identity, their purpose, uh, whether that's one to one groups, uh, corporate. Um, it's really helping people really define who they are, what their mission is, and. And then just taking everything else on board, making sure they're optimal in their communication skills, optimal in their relationships, you know, everything that goes on in their personal life just reflects back in a, in a professional. Um, so it's just helping people really be who they want to be and optimise themselves in the world. Yeah, I love it, mate. I love it. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's something that I think when we're on that retreat, you understand, you mentioned labels there, but you understand the depth of what that means and you know I've got a real good insight into what that means for you pal um, just because you, you, you sort of you go into the depth of what purpose is or you go into the depth of um, your story and, and what, it, what, what it has the past experiences what, which have made you uh, who you are and I'm wondering if you could share mate some of the experiences and, and a, bit, a little bit of your story what's enabled you to, to get to where you are today Line, it's probably best we go really go back yeah let's go back to come forward so yeah i used to like i said a massive dream as a kid i mean i'm 40 this year and 25 years ago when i had that dream like rugby wasn't even professional for me so you know you just get laughed at school and careers day where what are you going to be when you're older what do you want to do when you leave schools i'm a big professional rugby player yeah good one rick it's, it's not even professional well it's all i care about so it was just almost like you know it, it was going to happen, whatever, and um, I managed to accomplish that. So at 16, I got brought into an under-21 squad um, at Saracens, um, which is unheard of at the time. Um, you had to be 18 to go in, and they just started an academy, and I was called straight up into the 21s, which was awesome. That was really good, good fun. Um, just unfortunately, at 20, I managed to snap, snap my spine in half. Um, well, not in half, but... You know, it was it was snapped between the L4 and the L5, and both discs was completely squashed to pieces. So much so that I couldn't walk, um, and that was the end of it. You know, I had to go back home and and live with my mum and dad, and, and that lasted about three months until until they uh, they split up in acrimonious way, and I was made homeless um, at the same time as well as as being kind of in a wheelchair. And uh, yeah, it was a big start, like kind of like throw into reality of fuck wow like who what the hell am I what why am I on this earth now like every dream's gone every comfort zone you know is gone um like from a male point of view like the one person my dad who had degraded me for so much in my teens um like I was an overweight teenager um and he'd call me out you know all the time in front of my in front of my teammates you you know you fat bastard and you're embarrassment to your team, you're embarrassment to your family, blah, 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 just to get me. It was his way of trying to spur me on. Just, you know, I, I realised now, doing the deeper work on myself and understanding him, he didn't know any different. Um, that was causing a lot of underlying issue that, that really flared up in my 20s and 30s. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, I managed to have the operation about a year later on my back. Um, I started swimming just after that, but I had the operation. I put my spine back together, manipulated the discs back into the L4 and L5 positions. And after surgery, I went to have all the stitches and staples taken out of my back. I said to the surgeon, so when can I play rugby again? You know, I was excited, like 14-year-old was kind of like back out in the world. You know, it's almost like, yes, here's my chance. And he looked me dead in the eye, smirked and said, lad, you're not even going to stack shelves in a supermarket in your lifetime. It was that serious. I was like, no way. I'm just showing my 21st birthday. I've got, I've watched my mates go out doing what lads do between 18 and, and 21. And I haven't been able to be part of any of that. And now you're telling me that the one thing I've dreamt of, you're going to take away as well. So I was like, no way. Um, left there, moved back into my mum's flats. I slept on the floor or her, my mum and my sister had bedrooms, um, the flat we lived in. And I was like, do you know what, sod this. I'm getting up at four o'clock and I walk to the furthest swimming pool from where we lived, which ended up being about eight miles. And I kind of made a deal that I'm not going to leave the pool until the 30 lengths. That kind of escalated into 40, then 50. Then I don't know what happened. Was some stupid form of head was like, no, now I've got to use my body again. I'm just going to push until someone can find me. There's a lifeguard there. So I'll just keep swimming until basically I might pass out and, my head had calculated that he'll get to me before any detrimental damage be done and he can rescue me. Um, I think that happened once. And then uh, I had to get some crappy job. I had an old car, single plane windows. Steve, it was that bad, that car. They got stolen three times. They left it at the top of the road all three times. <laughs> um, <laughs> it had like four gears and a choke steel. And uh, yeah, each time they broke in, they left it at the top of the road. <laughs> so, what, what car were it? It was a Sea Ridge Escort. Like, it was a 1.1, four gears, a choke. Wow. wow. <laughs> so, uh, awesome yeah, brilliant. But, I mean, going to that time as well, like, you know, I was super poor. Like, I was on a £600 a month job and I was giving like 50% of that to my mum to make sure our food and rent was covered. And I had no money to go to work. So I used to get, like, sunflower oil from like, Tesco's own sunflower oil, mix it with water, like, mix it together and pour it into the petrol tank of the car to convince it. It was that old, the car. Like, the car actually was believed it was, it was petrol. Um, but it was the only way I could get to work to earn money. And I did that for, like, two and a half years. Um, and I got to a careers, careers advice centre. So I was just like, I'm 23 now. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, I need to do something. And they were just like, what's your qualifications? And obviously, I didn't have much. I had, like, an A in PE and, like, a double B in English. That was it. Everything else was D's, E's and F's. And uh, they were like, oh, well, you can look for the emergency services or the military or become a personal trainer. And my self-esteem was shot to pieces. I was 23, um, completely out of, out of condition. And, um, you know, there's a lot of scars coming up. I really wanted significance and relevance in the world. And I was just like, right, do you know what? I'm going to go for the fire brigade. Everybody loves a firefighter. Um, I'll get to be part of the team again as well. So I applied, applied for London. And now I'm like, right, I'm not having an opportunity to take away from me again. What can, what's the controllable? When we, you go for the fire brigade in London, I don't know if you know this, but it used to be there was the highly, most highly applied for job in the country. So for every one position, they averaged something like five to 800 applicants. Um, so at that time, they had about 30 positions available. And I was like, okay, what's the process? So you do a maths and English test. If you pass them, you go into the physical. And the physical was a bleep test. They set you a level of 9.6 as a minimum to achieve. 
So if you want, you can get to 9.6 and like, you know, just be happy with your work. In my head, I was like, no way, this is competition. So what can I control? And I was like, I need to get as far up that bleed test as I can to make me stand out from every other applicant. So I used to um, put on like five bin bags, two jumpers, two tracksuit bottoms in the middle of the summer for like nearly six months from April to October. And it was a big green where I lived. And it was about, I don't know, 600, 800 metres round. And I used to run as fast as I could one length and then sprint 100, jog 50, sprint 100, jog 50. And I made this silly deal with myself where it's like, I'm not stopping any time I do this until I can't walk home or I'm just found where I've passed out pushing so hard. I was like, because I'm not missing out and this is my only opportunity. I've got no qualifications. So I found myself in hospital three times. I'd like found myself covered in shit and piss where I'd pushed so hard. I'd passed out and lost like use of, uh, lost use of my, you know, controlling my bladder and stuff. Um, the other two times I was found just with blood over my nose and uh, out of my mouth where I must've passed out. Um, and just pushed really, really hard to, to get there. And when we when we got in for bleed test, I managed to outrun the bleed test. So we got to level 20 and it stops and uh, they stopped me. And I was like, sweet, there's not going to be many people who could be able to do that. So like, basically that secured my place. I got into London Fire Service when I was 25. Um, and then at the same time, the same month I got in there, I was like, do you know what? If I can do this with my body, I'm going to play rugby again. So I've rocked up at my boyhood club and um, basically captained our team for five seasons from 25 to 30 into the national leagues. So we were like low level. I kind of came in with this just, I just wanted to be professional. I didn't know any, any way else. I wasn't one of the lads that got beard up or kind of womanized when I wanted to be a pro. Was, to be a professional, you know you can't eat shit. You know you can't, you know, I've just realized I'm all right to swear, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, casual, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, like, I was brought up on, like, you don't go out drinking on a Friday and Saturday night, you know, like, you don't go out after the game getting pissed up because, you know, you want to be pro. And for that, for that to happen, you've got to do the things that everyone else doesn't do. I just brought that attitude back in with me to my rugby club that I was a, as a boy at. And um, <clears throat> I'd go train early. I'd be training before everyone else did. I'd stay behind and train for everyone else did. And it was more because back when I started, it was like, I want everyone to follow me. Uh, this we could be great. We could do something that no one's ever done in the history of this club, and that's get to national leagues. And I came in, and people were untidy. You know, they'd wear jeans and like t-shirts or a shirt after the game. And I was like, listen, it's all in or not at all. Like we turn up in shirt, tie, and trousers, not jeans and trainers. And the way you conduct yourself for me was like, if we want to go somewhere, like you, you conduct yourself in a certain way. And um, thankfully, there was a lot of buy-in from the director of rugby and another coach that came in. And over that five seasons, I became captain and <clears throat> we got into national leagues. And I broke everything else. So, like, my jaw's all metal now. My nose is metal. I've had both ears, like, sewn back on at the tips. Like, five broken hands, untold dislocations, my fingers, two broken ankles. Um, you can, as you can imagine, the fire brigade getting a bit annoyed. The only time I ever went sick was because I'd broken something. Yeah. So, um, oh, I yeah, it's funny that. <laughs> it, it's like, and, and, and it, you know, it's touching on some of the things that we chatted about the retreat, but, you know, it, it seems like that there was a perfect storm that that set the right tone or the set right the right conditions for you to be, I don't know, I'd say David Goggins-esque or, or a better word for it, that which is just like uncompromisingly going forward, like, and and you know the bleep test stuff. Like I didn't, I don't think I even got to level bleep test. 
what like what what stuff was it for you which played into that like just like revolution or like you know and and it probably you probably self admit it, it's it's like teetering on the edge of of damaging or or like um risky to your health and, and well-being and stuff like what what was it for you which which made made that perfect storm what's the yeah there's, there's more to come as well and anger like i was so angry with the world um i was so angry with men like my dad everything i did was through insecurity uh feeling irrelevant feeling insignificant I really wanted to be recognized. I had this massive void in wanting to be wanted, wanting to be, um, I wasn't happy just to fit in. Like, I had to be, I hate, the word beast or king comes in my head, but in a really toxic way. You know, I wanted to be the man, not a man. And that's what drove me in my mid-twenties was, I really wanted to be the man. I wanted to detach myself from everybody else and be untouchable. Um, and it's really driven from so much insecurity. I mean, like my uncle from like four or five used to come around and get me in a headlock <clears throat> until I nearly passed out. And um, and he'd say to my mum, oh, he's soft, he's soft. We used to say this, and I thought, this makes me feel sick. Oh, yeah, he's going to be gay. I'm like, so what if I was going to be? Do you know what I mean? Like, can you imagine saying that these days? You know, like, and so what if, if that as it, how it was going to be? And he made me, uh, them things, like, you don't know it at the time. I didn't even realise this. I've done so much work on myself in the last five years. But them things were adding up. And then having dad where, who was, like, emotionally inconsistent. You know, um, one minute you feel kind of safe and the next minute you, you completely don't. Um, and when you go to a rugby club, which is the one place you feel like you are safe, and then your dad's the coach and he calls you out in front of parents and other players when I was 13, 15. I mean, like me and him had a massive punch up on the pitch when I was when I was 15. Uh, um, yeah, where he thought I was getting above myself and he playing touch rugby, coming with an elbow, smashed his elbow across my face. And um, I literally just picked him up in a tackle and dumped him on his head and, and we were just going at it on the floor. And it's like, Jesus, like, I look back now and I think I was 15. You know, we get into that ruckus, but I'm able to look back and be like, I understand now. Like I understand. Him, although we haven't spoken for 10 years, like I understand where he came from uh, and why he was like it. So, yeah, I think, Steve, that everything that was culminating to like 30 was just so much anger, hurt. The other men, I felt really intimidated, which is ironic, considering you go into a rugby environment. I've always been really, really intimidated by other men. Um, I used to go to London with a lot of my friends worked corporately. And um, because I've never had, never had money, back then and I didn't like wearing a shirt and tie work in office I always felt like this there was like an energy in London where it was like well if you haven't got money or wear a suit and go to strip clubs and get pissed up after work and do all this then you're not one of us like you're lesser and I used to get really angry inside and in my head I'd, I'd, I'd always and I'd, I'd admit this on here now I think I'd sit at the retreat in my head I'd be thinking do you know what I'm going to manipulate this into some sort of physical environment or find out if you play rugby or do something and manipulate this conversation so we end up playing against each other or something happens tonight and I'll fucking show you who's boss. I'll show you who's got the power because he's not you. And that was a conversation I used to have in my head because inside I'm like, I've trained myself physically to, to, inverted commas, to be a weapon. 
you know, like I knew how to box, I knew how to play rugby. So I'm like, okay, brilliant. I'll get you in a physical environment and now I'll show you who's in charge. You can wear your suit and have all the money and the fast cars. And it wasn't about anybody else. I could look back now and be like, Jesus Christ, like there was all these triggers coming up that I was just venting into the world in this way or saw the world that way. Yeah, man. And there's so many things I want to say back at that, but there's that ready-made um, tradition, ready-made sort of set like tradition of masculinity, which which is there, which is, uh, you know, from, from what, from what you're saying is like that you were fueled towards, if that makes sense, you had that ready-made package of, of masculinity, that sort of traditional set of beliefs and um, concerns for what it is to be a man and, and what it is to be that type of man, you say like, like to be a weapon. Um, when did you start looking at reflecting back? When did you start reflecting on it? When did you start looking at, where where you were propelled to and, and what it was that you propelled to. I'll tell you what, Steve, was, um, you might resonate with this, actually. After rugby, I got into powerlifting when I was 32. I just wanted to do something for myself. And um, I went to a competition that, as far as I was concerned, it wasn't about anybody else. I was just trying to beat, beat myself in my own training. I went to a competition afterwards. I still stayed behind. I've like, done really well. So I actually... This becomes relevant because I like to share this because I like to be able to say, like, you can do anything you want. Like, the mind takes over. I deadlifted 300 kilos at a competition, squatted 270. And it's not the numbers. It's the fact that you go through what someone tells you 12 years before. You're not even going to stack shelves in Tesco's. And then you go on to accomplish all these things. And I emailed the surgeon the videos. He didn't get back to me, funny enough. But um, I got an invite to represent Great Britain after that as a powerlifter and the letter come through and I just felt nothing inside. I was dead, absolutely dead inside. You have this, you dream of representing your country in a sport and, and everything else and you defy all these odds and um, they sent this official letter through saying we'd like you to be part of the Great Britain squad to go to, I think it was Slovakia and Lithuania for the European and World Championships and blah, blah, blah. And I said to Emma, like my wife, I showed her, she's like, oh, wow, are we going to go? You're going you're gonna to start training for it? I was just like, I don't feel anything. It's gone. I've got no fire. I've got no fire in my belly. And that time we moved from Essex to Sussex. So I left all my family in Essex. I left the fire service. Um, everything I knew, we left behind. We looked for a different opportunity. And that was been the greatest and darkest time that I'd ever experienced because I didn't know where a petrol station was. I couldn't even go, join a gym and no one even knew my name, let alone like when you walk into a gym in Essex, everybody knew who I was. Everybody knew what my work ethic was. And I come to Sussex and no one gives, like, no one gives two hoops. And my ego was like, oh my God, I'm nobody. Like, I'm absolutely nobody in the world again. And, um, and I couldn't sleep. I was sleeping like three, three hours a day because I was doing night work. I couldn't get on with it. And I was getting into a darker and darker, darker place. I know it's the first and only time I think that I've really contemplated. It wasn't the only time, but on a serious level, contemplating my own existence was so much so I nearly took it. And, um, and that was the start where it was like, wow, this energy stopped me driving into that tree. And I got home, quit that job, and I threw myself into the personal training. And that was the start of the journey. I met a, one of my clients who was a hypnotherapist, and I started to talk to her. And then she said, look, how do you fancy giving hypnotherapy a go? 
So I was like, okay. And it wasn't my fault. I thought it was all going to be like, woo-woo, and someone's going to control me. And it totally wasn't. It was just someone actually getting me to stop, to sit in a chair and just allow me to be really calm. And that was it. Everything just started coming flooding out. I was in tears and like all this stuff got unearthed. And it was like, wow, all these things I've identified myself with all my life. I'm actually, I'm not, you know, I'm not this, I've been self-harming, you know, like that's what I realized was like all these, the rugby, going back to rugby, the powerlifting, CrossFit, boxing, everything that I've been competing in, looking for the next thing to do. All I was doing was just constantly looking to physically self-harm or push myself to the limit, press down even further, like who I was inside, because it was so uncomfortable. Yeah, mate, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot in there, mate. There's a lot in there. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's a couple of workshops that, that we've done, and, you know, I've always only been going for a short time now, but we've talked about purpose and, and sort of a usual journey to, to what would be, a, for want of a better word, true purpose or revealed sort of type of purpose. And one of those those stages is the first one, is, is to wake up. So it, it sounds like to me that that 32... At 32, and that sort of letter coming in through the door, where you're going, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. It's like all those little, we did one on Eagle, it's all those sort of short-term boosts, those short-term um, dents that you're trying to make into, well, just to keep yourself pumped up, I guess, to keep that ego pumped up, keep that sort of masculinity badge um, still on your chest. Um, the, I guess that, stops, that's, that stops working, and... The, the message that I always uh, I, I'm conscious now of pushing a lot more is is that stage being something as you said there it's with your worst time but with your greatest time as well um, and I think there's such a fear around being vulnerable and taking that step to to go to see a hypnotherapist or taking that step to just step out of that lane that you've been presented to all your life that you've been training to do all your life is such a fear around that 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 suicide sometimes is the best option for for men um in their in their sort of mindset in their sort of perception um and i you know it, it, it does seem to me that you just mentioned a, a point where you've started to live a little bit differently um and to sort of understand your environment and to address your environment and address how you are in, in different different worlds um which is 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 is, is great to hear because it links in with what we're talking about um how dangerous do you think that i think we could all you know that toxic masculine that sort of that that ready-made package that that is 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 provided to us how dangerous do you think that can be and, and, and how do we navigate it as men? It's a really good question. Um, I went in the fire service as well at all that same time and um, that toxic masculinity is massive in these male-dominated male places. Um, I look at the youngsters coming through and for me, like, things aren't stopping and they're not stopping soon either. Um, I got talking to a youngster the other week and he was talking about initiations with, with his rugby club. And I don't know if you've heard of it, Steve, but I talk about doing initiation by doing the womble. So basically, like, you strip the newbie down and he gets passed over your head, like almost like in crowd surfing. But obviously, the crack is that 
anyone can put any finger and thumb wherever they want while he's crowd surfing. And it's stuff like that. And I, and I listen and I'm like, there has to be a change because that is, that is kidding someone or manipulating somebody to feel like they are being initiated to be part of something, which we all yearn, we're human beings. All of us yearn for community, connection. We yearn to be part of something, especially when we start to find people that resonate with a mission that we want to go on ourselves. And I think when I heard that, and I was like, it's a manipulation of men on men again, where you're manipulating someone to feel like they can be part of this environment and this team but the underbelly is that you never really trust men still because you've just had, you know, you've been, I don't even know the best word for this really, but you put yourself in a vulnerable position by being naked. I know you love it. I know you love it, Steve. And I'm, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not particularly shy. I love a nudist speech, mate. I love a nudist speech. I'm not particularly shy in, in nudity. But it is weird for us all to have like a group of guys start to, you know, like to have 20 men touching you as well when you feel that vulnerability and do whatever they want to do to you because they think it's hilarious. The underbelly of it is that you still don't, you don't trust men. So it's like part of you is like, oh, brilliant, I'm part of this. But the part of it you don't really think about, the unconscious is don't really trust these people. But for you to have buy-in, you, you go through that process and then you give yourself on a Saturday or you, know, or you do things in, in an environment like, for me, the fire brigade, to appease them people. But the underbelly still is that you're unconsciously not really trusting of other men and you cultivate a relationship where you're in an environment with these men, whether it's a fire service, rugby, like whatever it is, that you feel like an outside man is an enemy now and you're willing to do like whatever it takes to protect your own because we have this unconscious driver. We're familiar with these. And although the underbelly is we don't trust, this one's an outsider, which means I can't trust him even more because he'll probably do worse to me or he's looking to take something from me. Do you know, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, mate. And, and the, the important thing there is, well, you, I don't think you ever feel comfortable after that or in that scenario because you can imagine what the environment is. And the, 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 the part to that as well is that it's an immediate shift in power. Um, it's an immediate shift in power and, and, and act of vulnerability, but it's working for the group because they feel better because someone else is exposed or someone else is, is not feeling better. Do you know what I mean? You, 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 you're, you're, you're taking which I guess is a, a, a transaction which, yeah, it is not good for anyone involved and it's not good for anyone going forward. And, and you know, you can talk about that in, in student world, the student life, what, what they do and, and what they're initiated into. And that's something that eventually we're, we're going to be talking about and evolve is, is the initiations, the sort of lack of initiations or the sort of... Um, makeup of 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 these initiations which which are dictated to by you know the the toxic sort of masculinity that that is i guess um and what what just on on initiations mate what what do you think on that like what's your viewpoint on that for for where we are as, as men for that yeah i'll tell you what i'll share what i do with my clients so I've like corporately, whoever it is, some of the, I work with a couple of pro sports people as well. We, we have this conversation all the time. 
he's all very much the same. Corporate world, the initiation of the young guy in the office, he's obviously, we go out, you get drunk, you go strip club, blah, blah, blah. Same toxic way of introducing them into the environment. And for me, it is having guys like like you, like I, like, like more out there, that when we get to, don't I use the word status, when we hold a position that we put ourselves into because we feel passionate about this, Every time I have a coaching day with, a, with, with men or a man, I create a safe initiation. So we do a lot of deep work where we cut down the emotional barriers. And then what I do is similar to what we did on retreat is we do something that's uncomfortable but safe. So I'll either have a space in the woodlands where I do my coaching and I'll get a blow-up pool there, I'll put ice in there, water, and we'll go in together face-to-face in the ice water without taking our eyes off each other where it could be the sea we're walking together slowly in no rush and sit in it and look in each other's eyes and we get out and it sounds like we say it to people they're like on the surface they're like you're crazy like who wants to get in it no one but this is the initiation that i'll hold your fucking hand to go in because i don't want to go either but we're doing this together and I'm not going to hurt you. You're not going to hurt me. But this is us dipping into discomfort. This is us finding our edge in a really healthy, initiating way. When you get out of this, you'll trust me deeper. And we'll be bonded deeper than we were 10 minutes ago. Because we've initiated our relationship. We've initiated our way into finding discomfort in a safe way. Yeah. It's not, it's not a transaction, is it? It's not a transaction of, of discomfort no. for, you, for you to feel powerful. It's... It's finding, like I say, that edge and finding or riding that discomfort together, um, which is pretty big. And, and I know that people listening to this will think, oh, well, I don't know about that, like looking into someone else's eyes and stuff. And yeah, it, it, that's that's exactly why you do it because it's, it's that bit of discomfort. It's that bit of thing that you journey with and you go through together. I've got a group of MMA fighters, Steve, that I look after this three of them that are trained and uh, they are, they're meant to be like the best of friends. And I've done this exercise with them. I've done this exercise where we, I get them in a triangle and they get them to say, look in each other's eyes and in a triangle and tell, tell each other in one word, one quality they see in the other man. They are, they can't look each other in the eyes and they're meant to be the best of friends. And I think, wow, like how many men are so uncomfortable looking in their like friends eyes. They can't even tell them something nice. It's like it's like there's there's a there's an attempt at at that there's you know with with that that thing you mentioned there the wombo or what, there's an attempt at some form of it do you know what I mean there's, there's it's like there's someone's trying to pick pick out what can be used as that and you know they're landing on something which is just you know not not useful let's say um, and it's like there's some sort of um, moving around something that we need to do but we don't quite know what it is do you know what I mean and and we can't we, we can't be uncomfortable in this way but we can make other people feel uncomfortable um, which is you know which is obviously not not the best thing um, yeah and uh, it's something that, that I'm I'm sort of opening myself up to a lot more recently um, I've read some books um, as of late that that are probably classed as, as feminist books. 
Um, and they're, they're, uh, there's some books, one by Rose McGowan, who, who sort of more or less started the Me Too movement in, um, in America. Um, that's called Brave. And I finished that book in literally two days. I've never finished a book that quick before, mate, honest. Um, yeah. Which are outstanding. What's her, What's her name, Steve? Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan. And she talks literally about um, she was born into a cult and then she says she ended up in another cult, which was Hollywood, um, which is is a men, it's a mental read, and it's it's yeah, like she, she the the book, and along with another book that I've read by um, Grayson Perry called The Descent of Man, it just shifts shifts you across to another lens, which you've never looked at the world through, if you know what I mean. So you know, the Grayson Perry talks about talking. Um, to a man about how it's a man's world is like talking to a fish about water. Do you know, it's like you've got, we're operating in, in a world which everything's, you know, set up for men and, 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 you know, it, it might sound extreme, but I'm just trying to get it for the, for the point of it. But reading these books, it's meant to think, yeah, well, this is unfair. That's unfair. And there's a way that we can, we can look at, uh, at something better which is is, is better for, for for most people so the masculinity thing mate is is really sort of hitting home with me because I've been able to see it in a in a different light if that makes sense um and and you talked about obviously that that wake up moment you talked about that what are the other sort of uh enlightening moments that you've had in terms of masculinity going forward <laughs> I bet there's a few of them in there you just wouldn't yeah there's one on there's one and um, I'm just debating if I want to say it because I haven't shared it on any podcast yet um, okay so I'm going to feel into it for the next five minutes first yeah. of all because I've never I don't share it I'm, I'm, fi- I'm willing to do it tonight I think okay guys so just a little interlude here I want to tell you about a year where I struggled to sleep. I struggled to sleep because I got burgled twice. The first time they fish hooked for my keys through my porch letterbox, got the car keys, drove off in the car. The second time I'd left the house without my car, they had broken into my house again to find my car keys. But instead they took my grand final ring from 2017. I was gutted. I was gutted. And you know what I did? I rang UK Red Security. These guys are a leading UK company specialising in systems to suit commercial, fire and security needs. Mine, Rob Burrows, a lot of the other lads as well use these guys. So whether you're looking for a burger alarm or CCTV system for your business, a comprehensive fire safety system or 24-hour cover to respond to security alarms at your premises, at your house, it's class. I've got an alarm which I can set on my phone, I can look at the CCTV on my phone up to date, even when I am not in the house. These guys will certainly help you out. I want to thank you for helping me sleep again, and I also want to thank them for the continued support for Mentality. Cheers, guys, and let's get back to the show. Obviously, I was a dad, so when all this when all this happened and. Clay was born and stuff. He was when he's six this year, so it coincides with exactly that time. Um, I think going for that hypnotherapy, um, surrendering, it's a big word for men. We we hate it. I had this chat this morning with, with somebody's wife where her husband desperately needs some, some like help. 
and his view is if he has to pay for another man's help, he's, it says that he can't do things himself. So he won't surrender to the fact that he can help himself and he's got the opportunity to do it. But he feels like if, and we've all been there, because I did that for years. Like, I wouldn't even get help because it, I always felt if I had to pay for it, then there's the ego kicks in. It's like, well, you're not, you know, you're not very, you're not manly enough if you don't think you can handle this yourself. And, um, and now I'm experiencing it now, but, um, there's, there's loads, there's loads of imaginary chip wires as a mum. Like, yeah. and, and this is the thing with, with the, the fish and water thing. There's, there's, it's almost like the beliefs that you're not sure that are there. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you say, the, oh, I'm not going to get out because that means that I'm not a man or whatever, but it's not, it's not conscious. If that makes sense. It's like, it, it, it's there for men. Um, and they can suffer and, and because the environment that they're in is invulnerable, they still won't, they still won't do it because they've got no point of call for it. If that makes sense. You know what it is there as well is that we're so bought into being in a warrior psych all the time, like doing action. Um, and I'm like, God, I, I probably fight daily with not being in that because it's so inbred in me. Um, and I remember going on this journey just as I started getting into coaching about three years ago. I remember coming across guys in Brighton. I was going to Brighton every, like once or twice a week, every week going in the water. And stuff started to come up for me then. I kept meeting like other coaches, other life coaches. And, and I was so like hippie woo-woo, like really soft, slow. Everything was like neutral. And I remember saying to Em, I was like, and for better use of a word, but I was, I'll say exactly what I say to her. I was like, fucking hell, I hope I don't turn into like this lot. Like, they've got no spunk about them. Like, that's what I used to say. I was like, they've got no spunk. Like, where's the fire? Where's like, where's the get going, these guys? Like, that's what I used to feel. And um, it wasn't actually until about 18 months ago that I realised that <laughs> they were just still. They were being, they were able just to be like, you haven't got to be in action all the time. You know, you, for all I know, they, they left the beach and that was their time of the day to just be, to find a bit of time for themselves to, to calm. And I was like sitting there thinking, yeah, we should be on the get-go all the time. We should be action takers all the time kind of thing. And I guess like 80 months ago is when it finally just hit me where it's like, oh my God, like this masculinity part of me of just dominating, you know, dominating an area or feeling like you have to be on the go or proving yourself all the time in the world. Um, when I was like, shit, I need some of that. Actually, I need to, I need to spend more time with them people and, and learn how to just stop and take in a bit more, not take in, but like harness the feminine in me, you know, the softer, the, the nurturer, the carer. And start showing it towards myself because I think that was a big one, Steve, was when I realised that I'd learned a couple of years ago I actually hated myself. I'm a really I'm a like you know, I'm a tactile person. Like if we're in person, I'm always quite touchy and jovial and, and all that. And I love people and I love my friends, but it was like a massive lack of any sort of self-love whatsoever. Um, I couldn't sit still. I couldn't meditate for, for love and money. And it's all because I just like I didn't think I deserved 
to feel any softness for myself. If I felt softness for myself, I'm a big believer in what we, our words and what we tell ourselves about ourselves will reflect in our behaviours. And when that reflects in our behaviours, the world treats us accordingly. So in my brain, I was like, if I feel like I can be soft with myself and show, me, show myself love, then one, does that mean that the world's going to see that I love myself in a negative way, as in, oh, he loves himself, or am I going to perceive to be, oh, he's soft, we can, we can take the piss now. And that, that was a relationship used to go on in my head. It's, it's like, uh, I'm sure many men will relate to this, but you said that you said before, like you, you, you've always proven yourself. And I think to an extent, when, you, when you're playing by the rules of, of um, the traditional masculinity, you, 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 it's a constant proving, if that makes sense. It's um, every day you're proving, you're proving that badge, you're proving that you can wear that badge which is um, an aspired for badge. Um, maybe that, that badge needs a bit of a, a tweak and a bit of a change, uh, a bit of a progress and evolution. But the, the, the side of, which is, is well and truly in, in, um, embedded and evolved, is, is, is gratitude and, and uh, mindfulness. And you know it can be an hard sell at times, but it's, it's the side where you, you, you can sit with yourself and you can observe your egos um chatter and you can just be all right with it um and and i, I think i think uh, in a in a way like that that was um for me looking at that sort of life it was like um it was like almost like is that quitting do you know is that is that quitting it's like that that role or that sort of fully embedded in that role and, and no no straying away from it what is it i think i think there's i don't think there's many examples out there of um the full package if that makes sense um, and what's the but you maybe you bought me something you've just um the saying comes in my head that we don't use it as men but you gotta let go to let come and I think we associate letting go with quitting and surrender. When actually, if we can recognise that for us to let go, we can't, or for us not to let go means we can't let something come in. Whereas if we just stopped, you know, that old saying, you've got to slow down to speed up. It's like the same scenario. Like if we can learn to let go, to let come, I think we, we can find like a, a much softer approach to ourselves. Yeah, it's... Um it's a big call, mate. I think, I think there's probably, there'll be men listening to this and, and there'll be men that are clinging on, or they might not have got so far to, to listen to this podcast, but there's, you know, I hope there is, that there'll be men that's clinging on to, to that way of life. In a way, in a way it's not actually them, it's that way of life um, that they're living that's, that's ingrained in them. Um, and 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 the saddest thing that I think, like I said before, is is when men have that that sort of that halt that you've had at, at thirty two years old, and that that shuddering stop that they don't explore or they don't look at another way to live, um, and they think that the only option is is the touted one that's that's seen everywhere do you know then and there's not really that other edge 
shown um, explicitly. And I think that, that men can get um, particularly lost. They may feel very lost because it's not that, 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 that direction or the roadmap to another version. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Steve, because it is an easy path. Like, it's not something where you can go, do you know what, I kind of want that change and then think the path's going to be clear because it's not. <clears throat> it's so hard. Matthew McConaughey in his book Green Lights says, um, every man needs to leave what he knows to find out what he knows. And, um, when I read that, I was like, wow. It was so powerful for me because... Like I don't, when I left Essex, the realizations of the people I'm around, I was like, oh my God, I can't be around them anymore. Like if I'm going to go on this journey, then it means I have to cut the cords. So anyone that like, I looked at as a friend, um, and it's uncomfortable because you do that loss. What you just said there, like you do experience loss. Like I can't even begin to tell you how many times that it felt like I just broke down. Um, and I miss Mrs. C, she's golden. Like she's, she doesn't do it, but she'd make an amazing coach. But like she pulled me through so many times five, six years ago in that change. And probably probably once a year still does. Because I'm not going to gloss over and bullshit anyone and be like, yeah, I'm out of the woods and it's plain sailing. It's so yeah, amazing yeah, now. Because yeah. like it's not. Like once a year probably for, like she says I must be having my monthly like every month. <laughs> but, uh, but like she, um, she'll, she'll pick me out of it. Like a, a, a bad place probably once a year where I'll, I'll break down again crying and, and be like, is this meant to be my path? You know, like, <clears throat> is it meant to be my path? Um, I feel lost. I feel like I don't know my identity is. And um, I don't know. Like, I don't think you ever get to go all the way down and then go come all the way up and just feel like it's all fine all the time. Because it's such a hard journey when we, it's so fixed in us. And society conditions us so well around it. It's such a hard process. And when you cut off everything you know, like I don't, I'm not in contact with any of my family apart from my mum. Like I don't talk to my sister. I haven't spoken to my dad for ten years. I mean, and then he went to prison for nearly killing my dad after you know, like everything happened when I was twenty, and, and he had an affair and stuff. And you know, you look at that relationship; it's so toxic that it got that close. But, um, and I, I ended up becoming my dad's dealer in my 20s. You know, like, you listen to all that story, and if I, I can tell you the next bit, and it's almost like, Jesus Christ, like, to add that in as well, like, you know, I got married when I was 23. I got divorced at 28. Um, and I was when I came homeless again at 28, like, I gave her everything. I'd become my dad. Like, this chase in this physical environment, like, as a man, we talked to... Like you said, prove yourself. And that came with women womanizing for me in my twenties. And um yeah, like I went down like you don't know this bit yet, because I never got to talk to you about this on retreat. But um <clears throat> yeah, like I womanize in my twenties. Like you come back from that injury and you go to the gym and, and all this sort of jazz and um your confidence goes through the roof and you know, like you're a firefighter, rugby player, you can't go anywhere now without saying things in your twenties and you could pick up women anywhere then. And um I got married to someone I just didn't even want to be with, but I was so insecure. I remember thinking like, oh, no one else is going to want me. And um, yeah, at 28, we got divorced. I gave her everything because I felt, I just felt, I couldn't believe who I was. I went to go and see a counsellor. I was like, who the hell am I? Like <clears throat> going against every code that I'd set for myself. Um, and we had like 
we had like a, a couple of kids and but that was an almighty battle for the five years after um you know and rightly so like she was scorned and i was in a battle to keep them and i'll drop a bomb on you now but like i used to have them like two or three nights a week and and that got really really toxic uh between me and their mum and it got to a point six years ago where, or five years ago, just for me and them, no, it was, how long have we been married? Eight years. So yeah, five years, seven years ago, they asked, not, can we not stay anymore? Can we just see you? Like, you know, like one, two nights a week. So I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Destroyed me. I went off depression from work for a month and it absolutely destroyed me. But we made it work. And then six years ago, out of nowhere, we're playing kiss chase, got a daughter and a son, and everything was great. I took her back to their mum, I come back, and there's a note in my pyjama bottoms from my daughter saying, Daddy, this isn't this isn't mummy, it's me. Um, I don't I don't want to do say to you to your face, but we don't want to see you again. And it was like sat downstairs with them, and I was like, I've just been playing kiss chase, like with them outside for like three hours. Yeah. And um and I sat on it. She's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to sit on this for 24 hours because it's the second time something's come up now. And um, like, this doesn't just come from nowhere. And I, like, I'm not, I've never been abusive. Like there was none of that. There was nothing, never anything untoward, you know, all of it. And um, and I sat on it and I phoned her the following night and I got on the phone. And I was like, I've got your note. And I was like, is this what you want? She was really sheepish. And she's like, uh, yeah. And I was like, put your brother on the line. And he's like, I just want to do what she wants to do. So I was like, okay. And I sat and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to give you what you want. Cause in my head today, I'm like, I've been through pain. I can feel it. I know how to deal with it. The last thing I wanted was a, a five and a, I think eight, 10 year old, eight year old at the time to keep being torn between these, these two people who are kind of at war all the time. And there's all these fathers for justice thing. And I think coming back to the, like this masculine thing, Steve was, I realized then, do I want to be a man that was, as much as I love him, want to be ego-led into constantly battling? Because it was my ego that's like, I want to see him. Like, I want to be with him. I want them to be with me. When you're starting things with I and you follow up with them statements, that's ego-led. And I was like, I don't want to be one of these dads or these fathers for justice parents where you fight and fight and fight because ultimately them two are in the middle of all this and they're being pulled from pillow to post and I was like fuck it like I'll live through the pain I can deal with pain I've been through it all my life I'll give them what they want and I gave them what they wanted and um, that was six years ago three years ago we got adoption papers through from from her and like a new husband they went to adopt them and obviously me and them sat down and I was just like you know what I've got a beautiful son who adores me and I adore. I've got a beautiful wife. And I was like, I'll give him, I'm going to grant it. And I granted it. I signed it. I granted it. And I was like, he'll only get 90% of me if I don't sign this off. There's always going to be a part of me that will be, oh, they might get in touch. And I just thought, do you know what? I need them to live their life. I need them to grow up in one household and and be taught one way rather than be pulled in another and and i live with that and people say to me oh ricky's all right when they get to 21 like they want to reach out and i'm like do you know what i'm absolutely at peace i'm absolutely at peace that if they never do 
and brilliant. You know, they've got to just understand one way rather than be pulled. And if they ever do, I'll just tell them the whole thing, you know? Um, but when you come back to the masculinity side of things, mate, like, that all culminated six years ago as well. So there was a big volcano going off inside of me with, like, letting go to let come and surrendering to who I truly was and, you know, and this new, this new me that I was finding. I mean, because part of that was all the ego-led, you know? Like I said, like, there was so much ego in me between my 20s and early 30s. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, mate. It's no. almost like a, like a counselling session. I was like, <laughs> yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> But not at all. It's just, it's just more of a case of, like, how many young men do the same thing? You know, like how many young men get their ego over up for their 20s and they, they do all these sort of things and the same thing happens to them and, and they carry on this battle for years and years and years because like hate gets involved and you get led by ego and you carry on this fight. And because you're so ego-led in your masculinity, like you said about quitting, and that was my head. I can't surrender to her. I can't fucking surrender and give these up because I'll be quitting. And in the end, it was like, no, it's not. Like you, you've got to let go for them. Um... I don't know if that makes any sense and falls into the theme we're talking about, but it does. It does. It's um, it's some of that I guess that that comes through through ego or it's that ability to drop back from it. I imagine. I imagine that, that that's the the arrest that you had to do um, in that, mate. And it's that's a massive, massive thing. Um, what you mentioned, you mentioned your partner that you're with now. Um, over the time, because I imagine that she's seen quite a lot of the journey. What's her take on it? Like the evolution of, of you from, you know, I, I guess it was the tail end of that that masculinity sort of toxic masculinity, um, Rick Cooper. But through to now, like what what's? She, I imagine she's she's seen quite a lot of change. Yeah, God, she's a she's a strong woman, Steve, as well. Like, you know, five for eight. She's Ex like athlete, ex 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 rugby player for like Wasps in England, and yeah. um, she's like very strong woman, strong woman. Um, so we've been together nine years. She's been through like pretty much all of that with me. Um, and I think like she says now, like he's a lot calmer. Um, I mean, we was on a, on a podcast last week, and she walked in the room, and I kind of dragged her onto the microphone, and. Um, and stuff and like she said there's still things in me there's still like insecurities that need significance that want significance mainly around like body dysmorphia but she'll say like things are completely changed she'll say like when i start shaving my hair off and got rid of my earrings and all this crap um she said that was like another big start of just you you creating things for others rather than putting yourself like kind of first in your eyes uh, or my eye, sorry. Um, yeah, and to be fair, mate, like I would not be here where I where I am now if it wasn't for her. When we first got together, she gave me the book, The Secret. She was just like, you're just this really nice, gentle man that I think is just a bit lost when we first got together. And she said, I think you, this book could really help you. I remember reading it and I was like, what is this hippie shit kind of thing? Like, I don't need to read this. Where's like muscle and fitness yeah. kind of thing? And uh, Real stuff. Yeah, but I started to slowly read it and um, and it was like, oh, wow, I got into universal energy then. And it was like, that was the first realisation I had of rather than the five people around you, you're the average of the five person of people around you. That was the first realisation I had of, oh my God, they're not. 
they're the average of me. It's not the other way around. You know, like I've always been brought up to believe that I'm the average of them. And it was the first realization of, shit, universal energy gives you people in direct alignment of where you're at in your own world. So they were a reflection of who I was. Do you mean that's because you project your reality from your inner reality? Yeah, yeah 100%. So that was my first realization of like, my life is exactly in proportion to what's going on inside. And it was like, oh my God, it's groundbreaking. Once I realized that and could, could start to be like, okay, how do I change then? How do I start to dive in and start changing my thought process, my habits, my way of thinking, everything I've observed, like all them things like coming up. And it's like, I've always been told, oh, leopard can't change its spots and, you know, like money goes to money and the rich are greedy and all these things started ringing my head. And it was like, oh my God, these are someone else's beliefs. These are someone else where I've heard them from. And um, like if I, can, if I can understand that I can create my reality by reprogramming myself, then it just means that over time I can cut the cord on these people that are a reflection of who I used to be and start attracting the people in of who I want to be and who I am. And lo and behold, it does. And we'll be sitting here now with you know, like with you and, and the great people. Like, I call them my board of directors. Like, I always say this is my men's work. Like, you get yourself a board of directors, people you trust, who can give you advice in different areas. And, and you, you track them in by your internal world. Yeah. Man, and how do you choose to live now? From there, how do you choose to live? Oh, Steve, like, so much. It's just so much freer. Like, so much freer. It's... Um, how you say it armors off armors off shackles off yeah love it love it like meditate now every morning there's no point to prove I don't even I'm very rarely even look in the mirror you know like you used to walk past the mirror and look at yourself naked but oh like I don't even give a shit anymore like it's all gone you know um, even dress like I had this chat yeah the other week because I almost went down that route again when I started working with a couple of like trading companies and, uh, and I was like, oh, I better go and buy some long sleeve polo shirts because I'm, obviously my arms are all tattooed and stuff. And I better get some nice chinos. And, and I was just like, do you know what? Like, it's just not me. Yeah. The life too short to like just go down that route. And I was like, I just thought to myself, I don't like everyone and I don't expect everyone to like me. And that's fine. Like, and no one, the people you want in your life aren't going to be the ones you want if you can't be you in every sense and that's dressing how you want talking your truth behaving how you want to behave and then when you when you when you're authentic and you're in line with who that is and you're self-aware i think you get the people you want mm, yeah mate and i think it's something i i had a period 2016 that i could probably totally relate to oh man this is early i was 20 22 um and i think around that point i was very confused um and uh, but at that point, it's, it's almost it was like a breaking down of myself. I think it was like um, uh, an understanding that I didn't I didn't need everything that I wanted. If that makes sense, like uh, it, it was like a breaking down of, of the desires that I had. Um, and then from there, I just felt when you need nothing, when you're not straining for anything you attract everything, if that makes yeah. sense. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's what Buddhism called the, um, detachment. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's how I frame it. You know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, um, 
a Buddhist or uh, practicing anything like that, but it's just my experience that um, breaking down isn't bad all the time. You know, the, the, the breaking down of your beliefs isn't um, the end of it all the time. It's the start of something um, a little bit better, a little bit better. Um, Just want to shout here to Matt Morris. He is a sponsor. He's a supporter of Mentality. He's a really, really big believer in what we do. The message that we put out there, the message to go beyond stigma, the message to cultivate and um, to use mental health and to utilise mental health. He's over on the other side of the world. He is the director of Morris Infrastructure. So thank you, Matt, for being such a supporter. You are a good bloke as well too, mate, which, which always counts. So, mate, I, uh, I'm thinking that it's probably a good time to to bring some people in. And I want to mention on this um, that if you want to um, – oh, you've got to shoot. How long have you got? You've got 10 minutes. You've got 10 yeah, minutes. We've got 15. Um, 15 minutes. So if anyone's got um, any questions um, – We've got. I've got to shoot, man. Been top class. Massive, massive respect to it. If anyone's got any questions, but they don't want it to go out on the normal mentality podcast channels, ask the question and then just let us know after. Because you know, I imagine there can be some intimate questions that people want to ask. Um, but yeah, give us a, a a hand or a wave or whatever, or put it in the chat, um, and we'll we'll use Rick up for another five ten minutes. If anyone's got anything. Rory, um, Rory, lad. Hey, up, boys. Um, yeah, I've, I've got another meeting to go to. Um, so no, I'm like, no, no, I can't leave this one because I wish I could stay in this all night. It's, it's freaking unreal. Um, the content, I think, is um, there's something special. I believe um, I'd say in the world is happening because of lockdown. People are being um, stopped, and I think people are really analysing their, their existence. And um, what I wanted to ask. Um, I'll have to get off, so I'll have to rewatch the question. But um, how do we help other men to meet them and to bridge this gap that we see where there's this, as I said in the comments, there's this tribalistic, prideful shallowness, and everything's a laugh, and there's no substance to 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 where they're going or what they're doing or how how they're associating with others how do we reach them in a non-threatening way where they 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 can trust and then open up and then take this journey too because i think a lot of men are crying out for what this i can't i can't label it but what this is um so that they they can find themselves almost i know it's a really freaking deep thing but yeah um how do we do that is my my question to Nice yeah, question. Nice yeah question. I've got to shoot, fellas. I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you all up, but yeah. Catch up on it, mate. Keep going, man. God bless. Cheers, Rory. Cheers, pal. I don't know. Usually, I think we're in a, we live in a very privileged time where we have multiple social media platforms. Um, but there are men screaming out for it. And I think that rather than just, first things first is you've got to be that person. The person's willing to be open. The person's willing to share. The person's willing to step up um, to allow others to follow. Because I don't think we ever get away from, like as children, scientifically proven, we don't do what people say. We do what we observe. And I don't think that goes. You know, I don't think that leaves us. I think that generally, especially men, men want to follow actions. They don't want to follow words. Um, 
And I think that when we start to play that part of being open, of being sharing our vulnerability, and we have platforms now where everybody's on it. So it's like, well, if you want to really make change, change, you kind of change without a bit, without a bit of discomfort. There's a reason why we're kids and we're like, oh yeah, he's just going through growing pains. Yeah, growing pains. You don't grow without pain. And um, I think of these platforms to reach out to more without being intrusive, it's just start speaking your truth, sharing, sharing your vulnerability, sharing your thoughts, allowing men to start to be thought provoked into thinking, oh, first of all, it's going to be, oh, here he goes, kind of thing. Like, I remember getting that from our rugby mates. Here, here he goes, like, he's going down that route. And now, like, 18 months on of really expressing that vulnerability, every single one of them... And everyone around is, like, doing the same thing. It's magic. Exactly. It's magic. And that's the reward, isn't it? That's the reward, mate. Um, and, yeah, you've, you've got to, as you say, surround yourself with the people that are doing it and, and just flipping, jump into it, because you'll get rewarded straight away. And then you've, you've, you're into a different way of life. Robert, go on, mate, if you unmute yourself um, and... Um, this is this looks like um, a Rick lookalike. Robert looks like you, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Rick in a time machine, perhaps. But, um, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say this. Um, I've probably spent too much time emerging lately. When you look skywards, Mr. C, you are the ultimate emerge you know, pop, <laughs> popping your eyes up. It's, it's like <laughs> digital and real life all coming together. But anyway... Um, I just need to ask you about the book that you said the or Mrs. C suggested you read as soon as you met. Um, hippie shit. Uh, secret. The secret. secret. You know? Yeah, Wonderbird. Thunderbird, okay. Wonderbird. Yeah. And um, the word that both you and Stevie are looking for, I think, with the rugby initiation, Womble, is abuse. Yeah. All right. I don't always end on a gag. Yeah. <laughs> thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers, Rob. Cheers, Rob. So, thanks very much. Beautiful talk tonight. Cheers, Lado. Thanks, Rob. Um, okay, mate. So, yeah, that's Phil, Phil. Go on, mate. Jump in. We've got three minutes. I think my question is quite similar to Rory's, but maybe from the opposite angle. I think we talk about masculinity a lot with men who go through toxic masculinity and how they come back from that. How there's also a group of men out there who are traumatized because they were never masculine enough. They were never part of those communities. How do you invite those men into these communities and get them to trust in this kind of new form of masculinity and make, make it so that they trust being in those circles again? Good question, Matt. That's an awesome question. Yeah. I love that, Phil. Mm. I love that question. Oh, do you know what? I think we gravitate, we all gravitate to certain people, don't we? We have resonation with certain people. And I think, I don't care if they listen to this, I always find American men's work is very segmented. Like I tried to go in with some of the American stuff with, um, one name a couple of names, some of them quite insta-famous, but I tried to go in the men's groups and feel, do you know what? I felt exactly like that going to their groups. That it was like, I wasn't man enough. Um, I was too soft. Um, it made me feel really inadequate. They were very like chess beaters. They talk a lot about alpha male and, and patriarchy and all this sort of stuff. And, and that made me feel like that. And I guess what I felt then was, oh, well, this, this is 
bullshit kind of thing. When I sat back, I was like, you know what? All it is is that we all resonate with someone or we all resonate with certain groups. And I think he's been able to reach out to whoever's not leading, but facilitating that group and being like, okay, I've been watching you and I've got this resonation with you. I want to feel safe that I can come into this space because I want to be able to express myself and I feel like you're the person to, to do it. If that makes sense, Phil, yeah. because I guess from like, from like my point of view, I think because I can be both. I know like, I know you follow me on social media. I can sometimes become across really bloody alpha-y. But other times I like to think that I do show that I'm quite really, I am soft as well. And for me, it's really easy because in my, in the groups that I hold, like I've got to go in five, two, but only because I have a men's circle and that's everything. And that is such a, we have such a diverse group of men on there. I just never think about it. But then I guess when I've, you know, when I've done it myself, I'm like, actually we resonate with certain people. We get pulled to them people because not everyone's for everyone. Um, like I know I don't, I don't like going into the American circles because it is so alpha. It's so masculine. And it's uncomfortable because you don't feel like you can express your softness. Yeah. I think just adding on to that as well, I think when, when you do these circles or when you do these retreats, yeah. I think the whole point of it is, unless it's, it's, it's one that, that Rick's mentioned, the ones that I've been involved in and done, they're, uh, it's meeting behind all that. It's meeting behind all the facade, the alpha, all the sort of... Um, the personality almost and, and the egos, it's sort of like, you know, the barriers are dropped between everyone. I think if the environment's safe enough and, and you've got enough trust with people, you whether you're shy, whether you're outgoing, whether you're um, alpha male or, or you, you, you're sort of an introvert, whatever it may be, I think everyone's got the same amount of time that they can speak. Um, everyone can connect with someone on something. Um, I think a lot of it's just, taking that step in it and, and, and daring to do it as well. Because um, I think when you're brought into it, it's 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 sort of a an understanding group, if that makes sense, um, which which is beautiful to be a part of. It really is. Um, so I think, I Steve, look, we had a... It's important to have a code of honour, and I think part of that code of honour is that all is welcome. All and everyone is welcome. You know, and, and when you, like I was at the start of our men's circles, I always reiterate the code of the code of honour. And part of that is that all and everyone is welcome. And everything's an I statement. And that anyone that doesn't adhere to that code of honour, if there's any point in that circle where someone comes off of it or they come with an agenda, they, they, they leave the call. Like, they're not part of my, my group. They go. I know that sounds harsh, but... For me, I'm like, you, I'm trying to, you want to create that safe space to encompass everything that makes up like men. Yeah, it's not, it's not just a certain type. Everyone, everyone at the certain ta- certain times trying to explore it as well. Do you know, yeah. like you've got to have that explorative nature about you and that mindset to, to understand other people. Otherwise you're, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong space, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. But mate, that was mega. That was mega. Um, and I knew we'd get into it. I knew we'd get down to it, mate. I was buzzing to have you on. Um, you're sending a fucking brilliant message um, and an important one. And um, I'm really happy to have met you. And um, I'm glad that you've, you've spent some time with me and, and everyone on, on, on in the Evolve group. Um, 
but you're a top man and uh, I'll see you on the next one maybe there's stuff we can do mate. I know we've been talking about doing something together when it all opens up all virtual I don't know let's let's have a look but top fella and um, good luck on the uh, the next call mate um, put it into it in this next one mate cheers mate Steve thanks very much for the space and having me on mate love you loads brother cheers brother top man care, top mate. man lots of love lots of love Tell that mate